Lord, our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us, teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor to bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we are gathered together in the house of the Lord, God, may we have the ears to hear of the messages that you're giving us today, Father. God, that you do mold us, that you teach us, that you dwell in our midst today, Father. God, I humbly ask that you speak through the message that I've prepared in my heart, Lord, through your spirit. God, that you would strengthen me and give me discernment, Lord. I thank you that you are a father that answers prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we mentioned, we're in a six-week campaign called Love Where You Live. This is week six. You have one more Sunday where we're going to be talking about this, and this is during your open house next week. And this week, our theme is Mi Casa Su Casa. And I get to share from my heart what this means to me. Um, it means to me holy hospitality. My, I, I was born and raised in Canada. So my Spanish is very nil, like tacos, burritos. It goes about that far. And so I didn't really know. Mi casa I knew was my house. Su casa, I, was, I thought it was his house this whole time. And I realized afterwards that it's your house, right? Am I right? My house, your house. Okay, and, and I want to think of it as holy hospitality. Holy hospitality. And before I go any further, speaking of houses, I wanted to share a little story. And this story is about how our family purchased our first home. And so I was at the point in my life where I said, you know what, God, I am okay with never owning a home. If it means that I'm going to be in full-time ministry and I have to sacrifice that, Lord, I am okay. Right? We can't take our possessions with us. But, however, one morning, during one of my early morning prayer times, I felt from my heart that the Lord gave me this vision, this image of a home, and that we should start looking for a house. And so I said that to Albert. You know, I really feel like the Lord is wanting us to start looking for a home. And then mornings afterwards, I got another vision from the Lord, and it was coins falling in my lap. You know, I kind of like, (laughs) wow, I like that vision, right? Coins falling in my lap, and I kind of dismissed it. And I just felt like, you know, God is just assuring me. He's assuring us that he will always provide And provide he did. It was not by our means, but really the divine provision of the Lord that we were able to purchase a home. It took us about 18 months of searching and praying. 
it was really important for us to find a home that we could minister out of, right? In our hearts, we were thinking, this is not our home that we're looking for. This is God's house where he would use to minister to his people. So finally, we came upon a home in Montebello, and when the agent took us to take a look, we thought that the layout was perfect for ministry, right? By this time, we've already been disappointed with a number of bids that we made that were, that were outbid. But we finally got to this house in Montebello, and as we walked around, there was a few pieces of furniture. It needed a little TLC. And I remember opening up a pretty empty cupboard, and right there, there was a CD album. It was an old Don Moen CD, who was a, a Christian artist. And right on the CD, it said, God will make a way. <laughs> and my heart started beating. I'm like, Lord, is this a message from you? And then Albert, my husband, Pastor Albert, he, he said, Christine, come here. And I walked over to the living room. And right there in the middle of the room were like a stack of like over a dozen Bibles, wow. right? And I'm like, well, Lord, is this, is this you? So after the papers were signed, we, we made a bid, and, and it was accepted. We invited some friends over, and they came over to pray over our home. I can't even recognize our home here, but this was our home. Not, we hadn't even moved in at the point, and people were here just worshiping the Lord, praying over the house, and everybody had these little bottles of oil. They were going to anoint the, the door frames and the windows to find that there were already oil marks there that somebody had already anointed our home. But the biggest sign that the Lord had led us to this house didn't come until weeks after when we had started the renovations. We were finishing, refinishing the floors. We gutted the kitchen, took out that awful popcorn ceiling. And as you enter, oh, actually, you can see it there on the left side. See that little white post with that little wooden thing on top of it? It's like in the entryway, and if you're from that side, that's how you come into the house. It's like this wall that's about yay high. And right there, there's this metal planter with these really ugly-looking plastic plants there. And you can actually pull the metal planter out. And I said, you know, Albert, we have to get rid of this planter. It's pretty ugly. And I pulled it out, and the wall is hollow. And I looked inside, and I'm like, Albert, there's something in there. It's a plastic bag. I said, Albert, you fish it out because I wasn't going to put my hand in there. Right? So he, he, pull, he goes in there. I can't remember what he used, a hanger. He did his little MacGyver thing and pulled the plastic bag out. It was really, really heavy. In that plastic bag were two boxes. Some of you know the story already. Two boxes about this big filled with old American silver coins. Old, early 1900s silver dollars that we looked up afterwards on the internet that were at least worth 14 bucks each. Altogether, easily $7,000. Which I was thinking, that's the price of the renovations for our kitchen! <laughs> but we sobered up a little and realized this is not our money. We can't take this money. So through our real estate agent, she got a hold of the son of the previous owner. He turned out to be a Christian. His name is Haig. 
and he had invited his mom, who could no longer live by herself, to come to Iowa, and they needed to develop a room, to build a room which they had no funds for. And their church was presently praying for the finances to build this home. So we're like, hmm, do we give it to them? <laughs> so he came down, you know, we gave him the money. But we realized already that the Lord was using our home to bless others. And the real estate agent said, I've been watching you two from day one, how you prayerfully decide things. And I grew up in a Christian home, and I walked away thinking, God is not real. And you showed me that God is real through the love that you displayed. And that we were able to do this was such a blessing. And since then, we have been able to use our home for life group meetings, for staff meetings, people just feeling really low, just coming over and wanting prayer. You know, we've had Sam back there when he was single. Hey, what, we're, what are we having for dinner tonight? You know, just show up for a meal, people that were hungry, people that were lonely. We had like half a dozen people stay for a, a an extended amount of time there for months. How do you view your home? Is your home yours? Is it the Lord's? So what does the Bible say about hospitality? Why, do you, why are we to be hospitable? Let's, let's turn to the Bible. I'm just going to go through some quick verses. It says in Romans 12, 13, always be eager to practice hospitality. And if you dig a little bit deeper in that word eager, it means to pursue doggedly with all your energy. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. What, Albert? Your mom just called and said she's coming over and bringing like her two sisters and their kids and our house is a mess. You know, without grumbling, right? 1 Timothy 3.2, church leaders, if you are leading in any capacity at all, you need to be temperate, prudent, respectable, and hospitable. Hebrews 13 it says, reminds us, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. So let's look in the dictionary. Hospitality. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Okay, the Bible gives a little more depth to this meaning. Philoxenos is the Greek word for hospitality used in these verses. And it means to reach out or to love strangers. And it, it comes from two words. It's made up of two words. Philos, I'm not sure how to say that meaning dearly loved or prized in an intimate way, experience-based love. And xenos, foreigner, a stranger, an alien guest. Right? We are to dearly love and prize the stranger, the foreigner, your guest. So I want to talk about three points. 
And the first point is this. Hospitality is at the heart of God. Hospitality is at the heart of God. In the Old Testament, God is constantly reminding his people to be hospitable to the stranger, or as many translations say, the foreigner, the immigrant. He reminds them that they were once strangers. So in Leviticus 19, I know Pastor Albert went through this verse just a couple of weeks ago. It says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And I love how he closes that verse with that. I am the Lord your God. It's like he's saying, love strangers, not just because you were once strangers, but because you no longer are. Why? Because he is the Lord your God. God brought his people out of the land of slavery and played the ultimate host, making a home with them. So for the people of God in the Old Testament, the duty of hospitality came right from the center of who God was. He says, I am the Lord your God. I made a home for you and brought you there with all my might and all my soul. So therefore, you shall love the stranger as yourself. You shall be holy as I am holy. Your values shall mirror my values. So God was host. In Deuteronomy 29.5, it reads, I led you for 40 years in the wilderness. For 40 years, and your garments did not wear off from upon you, nor did your sandals wear from your feet. No need for that extra pair of shoes. No extra garments. No laundry, praise God. Until they got to the promised land, God provided for all their needs. And so God reminds his people, be hospitable, love the stranger. In Exodus twenty-two twenty-one, it says, You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. It's a reminder. In Leviticus nineteen ten, it says, Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Be hospitable. Love the stranger. Okay, so the second point. Hospitality is the heart of the gospel. So in the garden, sin separated uh, God and his people. So in a sense, people were alienated from their creator. And throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly reaching out. Remember the meaning, reach out to strangers. He's constantly reaching out to his people. They wander away, he calls them back. They wander away, he calls them back. And then God does the ultimate reaching out. What does he do? He becomes God in the flesh, right? He sends his beloved son, Jesus Christ, so that he can be a bridge when he died on the cross for our sins, so that we can cross over that bridge 
and dwell in the midst of God's presence once again. So Colossians 1, 21 to 22, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation. In Ephesians 2, verse 12 to 13, it says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Again, this whole idea of being separate, apart, excluded from citizenship in Israel. He's talking to the the Gentiles, right? Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ... And listen to this. This is really good. Now in Christ Jesus, who once you were far away, have brought near by the blood of Christ. So the ultimate act of hospitality is when Jesus died for us to bring us home. And so for those of us that believe, we are now part of the household of God. We're no longer strangers, no longer aliens, wandering without rights. We can find a home in Jesus and become citizens of the kingdom of God. Point C, the next point. Hospitality should be at the heart of every Christian. Hospitality should be at the heart of every Christian. The Israelites, they're wandering around, right? They're wandering, and they're waiting to get to the promised land. And God, he, we, we say he dwells with them, but in, in the original Hebrew, it's he tabernacles with them, right? You know that presence with the cloud that's following them around every time that builds a tent? right? He dwells in their midst, right? And, and we, we kind of see a glimpse of that, you know, in our own lives. It's like a parallel, it's symbolism, right? We are kind of wandering in this world, and we are not to see ourselves as, as being citizens of this world, but rather citizens of heaven. And it says in Philippians 1, it says, until then, until the great homecoming, until Jesus comes back and makes his home with us permanently, we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And in 1 Peter 4, it spells it out perfectly. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And again, it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I like the NLT version. It says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. So what does it mean? What does it mean to practice hospitality? Does it simply mean that we just open our home and have a meal with someone, let someone crash on the couch if they don't have a place to stay? What does it look like? You know, when Eli was about four years old, I, was, I went through a, a picture book with him 
uh, kind of teaching about the human heart. So it was a cross-section of the human heart, and I was showing him the four chambers, and, and he seemed very confused and perplexed, and he was saying, but, but which room is Jesus in? I don't see him. You know, and it's, it's such a, as a child, simplistically, he's like, where is God? Where is Jesus? He is indeed in our hearts. Jesus is dwelling in our hearts. That, this is the place where he, chose, he chooses to, play, to be. It is out of that place that we are to be hospitable. That place where Jesus dwells in our heart. You know that whole saying, the, what is it? Home is where the heart is, right? Uh, when Albert and I, when we, I, I don't know, I think a lot of you know already, we kind of met online. And, and the second time we ever saw each other, the first time we saw each other, we got to know each other. It was great. The second time we saw each other, it was in Canada at the airport. He picked me up. And, and we were not dating at the time at all. You know, we were just writing each other scads of emails. He was in Taiwan. I was in Canada at the time. And I came off, you know, excited to see him. Just excited to see him, right? Not like, ah, just, you know, I'm happy to see him. And he, we gave each other this hug. And he said... It felt like coming home. You know that whole, you know that whole idea. It feels like coming home because, ooh, because that the home is where the heart is. This is how we are to love one another. This is how we are to love strangers with that intimate, experience-based love for the stranger, the guest, the foreigner, to be a refuge, a home, to, to make someone feel at home whenever they're with you. Right? That is our calling. John Piper puts it this way. I, I wish I had written this down. We experience the refreshing joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality rather than being self-decaying cul-de-sacs. The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. So what does this mean? I think that's such a powerful quote. What does it mean? The hospitality that the Lord shows us through his love, through his son's death on the cross to make that bridge, that becomes stale and it becomes decays when we don't practice hospitality, that same quality of hospitality to other people. Self-decaying cul-de-sacs. Pretty vivid image. You know, have we the church, have we Trinity Church, have we forgotten that as God's people we are called to love others in that hospitable way. I'm going to give you three opportunities to be hospitable, maybe this week. First of all, make room in your home, right? Make room in your home. Invite people over. Provide a meal. Did I do something? 
Okay. <laughs> Invite people over, provide a meal for them. And perhaps you're already doing this, which is awesome. Perhaps your, part, your, your apartment, your place, your home is like party central. You have your friends and your family over all the time. <laughs> but the Bible, I know some of you are doing this to the you know, nth degree. I know this. The Bible, however, brings it up a notch. In Luke 14, 12 to 14, Jesus said to his host, he's at a party, and he says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Not they will be blessed, which they will be, but you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So hospitality in ancient Israel is some pretty serious responsibility. You were... It was a given for you to open your home to strangers, even to an enemy. If an enemy came along and you're, you know, you're, you're one of those wanderers in a tent, right? You're living um, in a tent at the time. And if an enemy who seeks usually to destroy comes and touches the post, they're claiming sanctuary in your tent. Right? And they, like in the tent, they, they, there's no separate room. You're actually supposed to stay together. So this little alcove in the front of your tent, they sleep right there with you. Right? The standards of hospitality back there, it was no joke. It was really serious. You, you were expected to get food and shelter and protection without limits. There's even an ancient Eastern proverb that says, the guest while in the house is its Lord. So a couple of years ago, I can't believe it's already been a couple of years, but our family went on a three-month sabbatical. We were able to travel from the East Coast to the West Coast in an RV, thanks to a grant that we received. And we got to visit all sorts of different churches. And I think one of the most interesting ones that we visited was this Amish Mennonite church that we um, visited in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So obviously, we stuck out like a sore thumb, right? I didn't have that little thing on my head to cover my head. And, and all the women were sitting on one side, and all the men were sitting on this side. They made me sit with the men. Uh, I don't know why. You know? And, and, and I heard that some Amish, especially the very traditional ones, <laughs> they, they don't like visitors in their, in their worship services. But this one... They were so friendly. After service was over, you know, they came up to us. They came up to the kids. The kids were talking to each other. And this one family called the Lap family, they invited us for dinner. And I'm not talking just Albert and I. I'm talking Albert and I and our four kids. They invited our whole family to dinner, not out, but in their home. Unexpected guests. And the Lap family, they were a family of ten. Right? So, you know, the Lab family had eight kids. The three, the three of the older ones, they weren't there. So, you know, there were only 13 of us. <laughs> we went over 
We stayed there after lunch till about 9 o'clock at night. We stayed there and talked and talked. Jesus, you know, got me chopping pickles, you know, cleaning up. And, 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 and we just talked and talked while the kids were out there on the trampoline and playing out in their little area. And we talked for hours and hours and hours. And they said, oh, look, it's time for dinner. What should we eat for dinner? Brings out some food. We were like fast friends by the time of the evening came. We will never be able to repay their kindness. Never. When are we going to go back there? When are they going to come here? Never. But we will never forget their goodness to us that day, their kindness. Would you be ready to bring home after church today to your home a, a meal, a visitor, like a, a family of six? I, I would not. My house is a total mess right now. We have, like, no food. <laughs> so if you have food at your place and you want a family of six coming over after church today, we have no plans, so. <laughs> so who do you invite in your home, right? Do you invite your friends, your family, Right? People that you've known, the same crew that comes over every time. Or do you invite people that are different than yourself? An Amish family? A Muslim family? Anyone in need? Maybe a cripple? The poor? A refugee family? Is your home a place? of ministry? If not, I pray that you make it so. Point two. Make room in your church. So sitting here, how many of you have noticed the new faces that are around you? I have not been at this church for, I want to say, good months, so I don't know. I mean, these people look new to me. Do they, have you seen these people before? No, n- never? Anybody else? What are your names? Kevin and Ryan. How many of you said hello to Kevin and Ryan this morning? Way to go. Awesome. Right? Are you aware of new faces? We have, we visited over a dozen churches on our, in our sabbatical. And there were places where we sat and felt extremely uncomfortable, where no one would come and say hello to us, where we were like, where do we take the kids? Um, where's the restroom? Like, it, it felt really awkward. And then there were other churches where everybody was just, come, how are you doing? Do you want to take your kids to the nursery? They want me to walk. That is the kind of church that I would be going to if I was looking for one. What kind of church are we? You know, when we pass the peace, Pastor Johnny said, kind of greet each other and say hello. That's not just an icebreaker, right? It's not just that we can move things over and you guys can talk amongst yourselves while we figure all this technology out. It's on purpose so that you can get out of your seats and pass the peace and get to know people like Ryan and who? Kevin. Can you say hello to Kevin and Ryan after church today? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I got that. Thanks. Okay, so make room in your church. Next week, 
We, we, have, um, we have open house next week. How many of you have invited people for the open house next week? Okay, you have two weeks. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, that's Roland Heights. You have one week. Invite the people. Be, let Trinity Church be a place of refuge. Let this church be a place of peace, a home for people that need it. This is a group effort here. You know, the pastoral staff, we, we can't do it on our own. This is on you. And saying, Lord, yes, I will be obedient, and I am going to bring people to connect them with a spiritual family. So be the church. Make room in your country. I know we've been talking about this. It's a, it's a little controversial, I know. I have no solutions, but we need to talk about it. It's written in the Bible, right? It says in Deuteronomy 10, 18 to 19, it says he defends the cause of the fathers and the window, widow and loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. He says this over and over, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus. He reminds his people to love the foreigner. We went to the Statue of Liberty in New York, and there there's an inscription of a poem. Does anybody know what that poem is? Pardon? Ah, Emma Lazarus is the one that wrote this poem. It gives me goosebumps reading this poem in light of what's going on in the world today. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. This is Aylin Curdy. And this is his older brother, Galib. So their family, they were fleeing from terrorist attacks in Syria. And dad, who was so desperate for the survival of his family, spent $3,000 to pay for this little cheap dinghy to cross the Mediterranean Sea their wilderness, so to speak, to get to the shores of Turkey, their promised land, so to speak.
Aelin didn't make it. Three years old. Nathaniel, our youngest, is three years old. His brother, Galid, didn't make it, nor his mom. Just the father. The father who desperately clung to his family when the boat capsized. He did his best. Now imagine Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, saying these words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I don't have any solutions. But just because we're at a loss, it doesn't mean that we stop talking about it. I know it's complex. I know there's so many implications of any decisions that we make. I know that. But we need to feel from the heart as the children of God. These are our brothers and sisters. The heart where Jesus dwells. See, Jesus lives there now. We need to love out of that place. What would Jesus say? What would he do? Which brings me to my last point. The third opportunity. Oh, did I say three already? I think this is kind of overlying everything. Make room in your home, make room in your church, make room in your country. We need to make room in our hearts, right? At the start of the campaign, somebody mentioned, why are we doing this? Why are we going to bring food and, and, you know, to the the police, to the local schools? And why are we having a block party? What is the point of this? And I kind of understand these questions. I know what this person is trying to say. Are we just going to go around and do these good deeds? Oh, I went to the police station and I prayed for an officer. You know, yay Trinity. Or worse, is it just a marketing scheme? You know, just marketing our brand. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a German Lutheran pastor slash theologian slash author, and he was executed for his faithful efforts to free Jewish refugees in Nazi Germany. And he said this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Trinity Church, when we are out there in the community, is it just the idea, oh yeah, we're we're loving our community, or do you really feel it? Do you see? I was so touched by um, Janelle. 
her, her testimony that I know she shared here as well about four weeks back or so, where she felt this urgency to, to, to pray for the police officers when their group went to the station there. And as she was praying, the Lord just tore her heart up for these police officers. Her husband, uh, uh, Sam, he's, he's a police officer. But, but the Lord used that instance. You know, I don't expect us to be able to love the police officer with that intimate, experience-based love, but something really crazy amazing happens when we do step out of those doors and we lay our hands on strangers and pray for them. The Spirit of the Lord starts working in your heart and then you feel for these people. Like, the Lord does that. It's not within ourselves, right? Let's love our Christian community, our communities out of these doors. Let's love that, not the idea of it. So marketing and hospitality, what is the difference? Marketing offers a message. Hospitality offers a relationship. Are we going to go back to that police station? Are we going to bring breakfast to, to, or talk to that te- local teacher again? Marketing proceeds from the head. Hospitality proceeds from the heart. Okay? Community groups, right? Block party, check. You know, police station, check. Is it from your head or is it from your heart? Marketing is premised on a lure. This hospitality is premised in love. Are we passing out these come join us cards? As a lure, let's grow our church, let's grow our brand. Or are we loving the people, seeing them the way Jesus sees them? This person needs Jesus Christ, and I am open for the Lord to use me. Marketing is directed to the masses. Hospitality is directed to an individual or a family. I'm almost done. Three, three things, three very brief points to summarize some of our action steps this week. Okay? One, invite someone for dinner, somebody that's not like you, right? somebody that's different. Invite people to the open house. Invite God, number three, invite God to show you how to love strangers. Right? And when you go out, this is our last week of our campaign. It's supposed to be mi casa, su casa. It's, it, you're supposed to invite somebody in, right? Somebody, somebody into your home and, and make it feel like home for them, right? So these three things this week. If you want this website, it's a number of organizations where you can financially give to help with the refugee crisis. It will be on our website, so if you um, would like to look through some of those and research, don't just give to anybody, research. <sighs> Thank you for just bearing with me today and allowing me to just share from my heart. May the Lord be pleased and exalted in all these ways. Let's pray. Father God, you are a God of hospitality. You reached out to the stranger, your people who alienated ourselves 
because of sin, because we put ourselves first before you, Lord. You reached out to us. You gave us access to you to dwell in your midst, for you to dwell in us. God, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you love us this way. Lord, I pray that you show us, teach us how to love this way as well, not just to our kids or to our dear friends, our family, Lord, but to those that really need it, the lost, the lonely, Lord, those that that are homeless, and, and not just physically, but a spiritual sense too, Lord. God, teach us how to love like you. Lord, right now, I pray that everybody has someone, a face in their head, that you are putting upon their hearts to invite to church next week, not to sell our brand, Lord, but to provide an opportunity for them to be connected to a spiritual family that can love and support them. Put somebody in their mind right now, Lord. All these faces and names, Father God, I lift up to you. I pray that you soften their hearts, open their hearts to receive this invitation. Father God, I pray for those people that are thinking about these faces, that you give them the boldness, that divine appointment, that that opportunity, Lord, to ask them, hey, we have open house at our church next week. Do you want to come? God, may we see these people the way that you see them, Lord. And God, I pray for the refugee crisis. I don't know what to do. I... Lord, I, I feel like a hypocrite even bringing it up because what have I done? Lord, give us open doors, Lord, to walk through. What do we do? Let's start with prayer, Lord. God, lift the hearts up of this church to lift up these brothers and sisters from the other side of the world who are losing their lives, their loved ones tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Give us a heart that loves and cares for the refugee. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. 